Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, July 27th. Where has the summer gone? Oh my. I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? A little fatigued, as we're recording about 40 minutes later than we should be. Uh, I think this is the second or third time over the last 13, 14 months that I've texted you a time and then passed out within an hour of the supposed recording time. Uh, but no harm, no foul. Here we are and good to be with you on a Thursday for a change. Uh, the summer of flexibility this podcast has been. Oh, yeah. Lots of different times. And I know there will be even more of a hiatus coming up here near the end of uh, August. But yes, as is the way with the slowdown of the sports calendar, uh, we can afford some flexibility. We can afford some time off before we get back into things in September. Indeed. Um, And with that slow summer season, I've been having fun with the storts. It's obviously a Trojan horse for politics. Um, I don't know if a Trojan horse is still a Trojan horse if the bottom is made of glass. Um, But it's also fun to get away from that sometime and keep it fresh. So fuck that stuff this week. Oh, let's talk about cocaine sharks. Have you heard that term or seen it circulating at all? Cocaine sharks. I I believe I've heard of it, but uh, I know Cocaine Bear, of course, the, of course. the movie. But uh, I believe I heard of the Cocaine Shark. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to outline the details here for me. So a strange movie I don't really understand that came out this year, notwithstanding uh, the term is generally referring to exactly what it sounds like: sharks on cocaine which is actually a lot more plausible than the name first suggests. Like, Owen, we have no idea how much cocaine flows into the United States through the South and Central America. We know most of it comes by boat and most of it comes by plane, both of which need to pass through the ocean, quite often the Florida ocean, uh, to reach the United States. two key ways that cocaine uh, is smuggled sometimes it can literally just be dropped into the water and other times like they just get boarded and have to dump it so sometimes it's dropped to be picked up sometimes it's dropped because they have no choice in both cases uh, there can just be large bales of cocaine floating in the ocean um Last week, I believe 90 pounds of it was found washed up on the Florida coast. Um, $160 million worth was seized in the month of June by the U.S. Coast Guard. And what do marine life do when they find things in the water? They explore. They check it out. If you're a shark and you see some tightly wrapped material made of plastic uh, and you want to check it out, There's really only one way to do it, and that's prod at it with your teeth. And you prod at that plastic with your teeth, and the cocaine hits the water. It's an incredibly soluble drug. So cocaine sharks, very plausible on the surface. Um, It, of course, is Shark Week on Discovery right now, and this 
term was launched somewhere into the public conscious uh, last week with Discovery announcing cocaine sharks as a premier feature of this year's Shark Week. So two scientists set out with this hypothesis to explore, and this is essentially the premise of the one-hour special that aired last night. I've got to say, I originally we were going to record the podcast three hours before this special aired and I was kind of irked about it and so it felt like a bit of a reprieve that we get to do it tonight having looked into all the feedback from the show because of course I don't have discovery um, it doesn't seem as though that much new information has been added from the show premiere so basically the show had three things the first was actually diving uh the main marine biologist on this tom heard who's also a metalhead by the way which is awesome hobby as a shark fanatic uh, went diving and found a hammerhead that did two things that were atypical for hammerheads one it didn't flee him which hammerheads, if I understand right, almost always do. And two, wimp. it was absolute wimp shark. Yeah. Um, they're so weird. I hadn't thought about hammerhead sharks in years till I was watching this video. And two, its head was a little to the side. So that could be an injury, or as he points out in the video discovery aired that you can find on YouTube, it could be a chemical imbalance. So then with that in mind, they set out two test scenarios uh, to try and like see if they could explore this. They did this in the Keys because, again, a lot of the drug trade does flow through Florida. And um, like I said, all this cocaine was literally found in the last month or last week. Uh, so first, I don't know what order they did it in. I don't think it really matters. They tried to just like simulate it with like, okay, plane flies over, drops bales. Do sharks have a habit of exploring these bales when something that looks like this drops? How quickly do the sharks respond? So they did some tests for that, and the sharks were pretty responsive. Now, that's kind of normal. Uh, it, like, if you've ever been in a lake or river, like, you drop a little something in water, and if you can see the fish, they will quite often swarm. Um, small fish, big fish, all kind of act the same. And second, this is where this one I think was kind of fun, but less revealing. They didn't want to actually just dose sharks with cocaine to test this. Oh, which, yeah, I guess ethically that kind of makes sense, unfortunately. So they tried to like come up with the closest thing they could and uh, still feel conscious, consciousable about it. And so they made like a shark nip is kind of what they referred to it as. And when they gave that to sharks, the effects were very catnippy, um, except wow. these are hundreds of kilograms sea apex predators, not um, yeah. little hellspawn. Now, they kind of contradict the like feeding frenzy and manic behavior that went on with the sharks because they, I mean, some background for this also is that shark attacks are just generally on the rise over the last few years. Uh, the article isn't really making, or the point of this piece is not that like cocaine in the water is causing sharks to get aggressive and that's why shark attacks are up. This isn't cocaine bear. But um, it, in fact, they're kind of not making that point at all is where the 
narrative kind of uh goes at itself because they've done some interviews and said actually we think cocaine makes sea life lethargic so i'm not entirely sure what the point of that second experiment was if they're saying like no i think cocaine doesn't uh, a lot of this study was influenced by one they did on brown trout in 2021 in europe where they could observe like a certain percentage of methamphetamine in the water and then put trout in water with that same percentage of methamphetamine and did some control group studies with that group of trout versus another and found some disturbing results that are incredibly plausible uh, so compared to that this not as damning not as revealing the whole idea is just to raise awareness of chemicals in the water affecting marine bio even if there aren't a bunch of rapid cocaine addicted sharks who are just biting into every bale they can find and absolutely addicted to the stuff but oh if the multi-billion dollar annual drug trade which features amounts of cocaine we cannot fathom is causing the apex predator of the sea to become an addicted uh, manic yeah cocaine shark would you call that stupidly terrible or terribly stupid i don't know if i'd call the cocaine shark itself either of those two things i would call our world and the fact that they are having to deal with the effects of cocaine as stupidly terrible but the cocaine shark itself as an entity, I find very incredibly fascinating and I would mm -hmm. love to learn more. <laughs> yes. So this was kind of a pilot to push it. It certainly captured public interest and I really hope there will be more experiments and we can follow it up. But like stupidly terrible or terribly stupid was made for this stuff and looking forward to plenty more sorts in the future. But for now, we can pivot to sports a lot of small quick hits on today's one. Oh, what do you have first in your area of interest? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of smaller headlines that have passed through. Um, we can start with that basketball here. And really, uh, I think today I just want to focus on the second item in our notes. And that is the WNBA super era, super team era right okay. WNBA season in full swing uh and and a, a time where we finally get to showcase that sport and you look at the odds on favorites to win the title and it's the Las Vegas Aces at minus 300 and the New York Liberty at plus 160 and the next closest team is plus 3000 like wow it is a two horse race and yep. it was something we mentioned last offseason in the WNBA was the accumulation of top tier talent. Now it's a league that is already saturated with a ton of talent with not enough teams. Like they are in need of expansion desperately. But there's still a gap between the top tier of athletes in this sport. And that's Sabrina Ionescu. That is uh like Courtney Vandersloot. That is, is, is Brianna Sabrina Stewart. who had the absurd three point. Uh, performance yes, 27 okay. of 29 threes yeah it's candace parker right like it's it's these top top tier mvp caliber level players and the liberty are off to their best start in franchise history and the aces i think have 
lost less than five games and we're over 20 mm. games into the season. So it is a arms race between those two teams. And we've kind of already got the finals locked in. It feels like, mm-hmm. um, and it harkens back to an age where golden state and Cleveland played each other four years in a row in the finals, which was exciting, but, um, boring. I don't know. I don't know if this is good for the WNBA or bad. Um, it's two yeah. larger markets, which is nice for them to get that exposure, especially in New York. But if you had any new fans trying to tune in for um, entertainment purposes and and kind of what's going to happen tonight, feels like things are mostly set already in the sport. And is this a spending issue or more like the NBA super team era where players just want to win and band together because of that? Yeah, I'd, I'm not sure on that. I don't think it's an earning thing. I don't think anything in the WNBA is earning in terms well, of why you would move. I, like I can see just two franchises being super rich and like being able to offer more, but like there is some salary cap structure, I imagine. I, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. But uh, it's got to be more the winning aspect and I think the exposure aspect, right? Uh, Sabrina Ionescu was fortunate enough to be drafted to New York, but Brianna Stewart signed there because however big of a star she could be in Seattle, they already had Sue Bird. And it's just not the same level of basketball mecca that New York City is. Yeah. And so not only from a winning perspective of Grow the game. winning other top tier talents, but it's your exposure outside and your marketability in these larger markets that is going to help them grow their own personal uh, wealth and, and media exposure in, in a way that follows a lot of what the NBA superstars have done the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Pivoting to the NBA for a moment, I just wanted to check if you had any thoughts on Jalen Brown's Supermax extension. There is a breed of story where every few years a new NBA player is the richest contract ever. Next year, it'll be a different player. I feel like there was no way the Celtics couldn't give him that contract, but just the optics of Jalen Brown and the way his game has broken down in somewhat predictable, consistent ways. And the fact that however much Jalen Brown deserves it, Jason Tatum deserves it far more and will get it with even more certainty is going to put the franchise in an interesting spot with two super max taking up 70% of their cap hit. It's a fascinating spot where they're in because the punitive penalties of the new salary cap don't really apply until the second year. So next year is kind of the team's chances like the Suns, like the Celtics to go all in on this. Um, But next year is when you get that accumulation Mm -hmm. and the penalties apply. And so they've got this interesting balance here of what's the window of the next two years of pushing for this team going into that second apron. Um, But then will the salary cap go up in those two years? Yeah. So can they afford this large contract, stay away from the super damaging penalties, and then be just in time for the cap to raise? And then you're falling back under those that second apron, um, able to have those two guys and then potentially sign some other stuff. Um, 
they probably already thought of that. Uh, they would not be good at their job if they hadn't already thought of that. So I think there was a lot of overblownness about like overpay for a guy who necessarily hasn't proved it, but he's been in the NBA finals, what, three of the six years of his career so far? I thought it was just two. Uh, is there a third trip to the finals I'm forgetting? Eastern Conference finals. Oh, I'm yeah, thinking. yeah, So yeah. they were in the Eastern Conference finals like five of six years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a lot of proven track record and success. Obviously, you're looking for him to take that next step in his elevation as a player, but largest contract in NBA history, I'd rather be spending it on a guy who's 26 than a Damian Lillard who's going to be in his late 30s by the end of it. Uh, so it's a great deal for the Celtics, even though it's such a ton of money, because you know the cap is going to go up. And mm -hmm. in the next five years, we could see someone like there. There's going to be a time when someone signs a Billion deal dollar contract. that finishes, yeah, or a deal that finishes with them making eighty-two million dollars a year, which is yeah. one million dollars a game. And we'll get all wow. the articles about wow, this person's sitting out for load management. He's still going to get oh, paid yeah, million yeah. bucks, right? Man. It is going to be interesting. No Smart, no Grant Williams. Uh, if there's a depth issue, because that was one of their biggest strengths. Mm -hmm. uh, but having offloaded a little bit of it, I think they'll still be in a good place. We're not there yet, but we're nudging closer and closer to that preseason speculation mode. And I'm looking forward to that. Pivoting to tennis here, this is why I need to start making better podcast notes, oh, because I forgot one of the most important things I had to mention while talking about Marketa Von Drusova. I'm pretty sure she has the best tattoos of any athlete, full stop. That's it. Um, I love the aesthetic, the style. It's all dark ink, no color, which normally isn't my thing, but she mixes the styles, um, sometimes ethereal, a little bit of spoken word. Um, and she's such a shy person. Oh, it, the language barrier can make interviews tough. I thought af right after she'd won, the interviewer really got her in her comfort zone and having fun by bringing up the fact that she mentioned early on at Wimbledon that her coach had promised her if she won a Grand Slam, they'd get matching tattoos. At the time of the interview, she had obviously had other things to think about than what that tattoo would be. Uh, she has since decided it will be a strawberry to celebrate her first Grand Slam. So just wanted to take a moment to dwell on that. And if you haven't seen it, look it up. Let me know what you think. But I think I have never seen an athlete with tattoos I like more. All right. I will definitely have to give it a look because tattoos typically not my thing. But mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of athletes with a lot of bad tattoos. So especially, especially in the UFC. Uh, so when you see the good ones, you've got to appreciate them. Okay, breaking news, Max. I want to get your live reaction here. Oh, boy. Just came through the pipe. Vladimir Tarasenko has signed with the Ottawa Senators. One year, $5 million. Okay. And adds a kick to a team that had to get rid of Alex Dabrinkit. Um, a trade that we never really had the opportunity to talk about. I don't think I knew it happened. <laughs> we um, got cut short the one day. Uh, yeah. And yeah, just a, another oh. rental guy. They've tried Hoffman. They've tried to bring it. 
they've tried a couple of other options. I, I'm curious to see if Tarasenko is going to fit in with that top six there that's so young in Ottawa. Uh, and, and the bigger story, I guess, for him is that the market really dried out. Yeah. He was expecting a big deal. He's been expecting a big deal the last three, four years and just has continually missed out. Obviously, see this year in particular is one of the tighter cap years and the cap is expected to go up next year. So he's going to bet on himself yet again, take one year, come back around and see if he can get that that term. But um, it's a nice little pickup for Ottawa in the meantime to see if they can build towards uh, a playoff appearance this season. And yeah, I think it's a nice little deal for both sides. Yeah, as a Leafs fan, I would prefer he... <laughs> takes his bet on himself here not in our division with a team that seems to have been on the cusp for the last two years and we're just waiting to get 20 30 games through the season and feel like oh no they're right still in the thick of things with those top teams in the atlantic and still competing they'll show a little sign of it maybe we'll the Leafs will always have a game against them in the first five, 10 games of the season. The Senators always play 130% and the Leafs play 60% for at least one or two of the periods. The Ottawa Senators terrify me and then they go on a losing run. Typically, I feel like it's rarely the all offense type players who that take a team over the cusp. And having kind of in the last two years wondered if this is the year for the Senators, I don't off the top of my head feel confident that it's Tarasenko, but maybe it's not about the pickup. Maybe it's just about the talent developing and maturing. Um, There's certainly plenty of talent to develop and mature. And if they have just gotten a little bit better and already gotten themselves over the edge and we don't even know it yet, then that is a terrifying addition indeed. Uh, Other hockey news. Other news. news. Yeah. Canadian Olympic gold, two-time gold medalist and all-around great guy who sometimes played for the Boston Bruins, Patrice Bergeron, (laughs) has retired. Yes. Uh, How many Selkies has he won? Are we should we rename the trophy? Five, six. Like it, it's a discussion to have at least. Um Hall of Fame first ballot player, a fantastic career, four-digit points, um, the model of what every team hopes to get on draft night. Um, an absolute class act that I don't think anyone ever really can find anything bad to say except maybe the wingers trying to score against them in the playoffs and it making the Bruins even worse coming into next season doesn't hurt either yeah yeah it will be a massive loss for them as a team as an organization he's a fantastic player first ballot hall of famer uh, nightmare creator of Leafs fans everywhere. And yeah, congratulations on a fantastic career. I'm very happy to give him his flowers now that he's not going to terrorize us anymore. That's it. Um, really should be a three-time Olympic gold medal champion, and I will never get over that fact. Yes, yes. We're just running right. through them, eh? Oh, yeah. Football fan cave. Max. Yes, football I'm excited money is for this man. one. Football oh money is different. 
if you what? took the top 15 players in the NBA, they would make less than this proposed deal. If, if you, you took, took the entire the... I've got New York one, but Yankees you can go first. and Mets salary cap for this season and put it together, it would be less than this deal. If you wanted to make t 10 NHL teams that have better roster construction than the Arizona Coyotes, you could make them with this amount of money. All that to be said, Kylian Mbappe said no. Yeah. What's crazier, the deal happening or the rejection? So maybe uh, we I should... Think... Yeah, yeah. 1.1 billion is the number. 1.1 mm -hmm. billion dollars. And that's from, a lot of things. Yeah, that Saudi Arabian Al Halal and team transfer fee, a base salary, and speculation on what would happen when 100% of image rights and controls is utilized in this market is the three things I believe being added together to come up with this figure. Yep. And it's in its probably market value for a guy like Kylian Mbappe. He is worth more than that to Paris Saint-Germain in mm -hmm. the fact that he is probably the best player in the most popular sport in the world, right? I was watching the highlights a while back because Messi has three goals in two games for Inter-Miami and just won a World Cup. And it was like you were playing against God himself. Argentina was up and Mbappe would score. And then Argentina was up and Mbappe would score again. Like yeah. just super, super threatening at all times. He's unstoppable. And the older superstars like Messi and Ronaldo getting those massive offers, Kareem Benzema, right? He is in the prime of his career. And the reason why I turned it down is he's just not going to improve or cement his legacy playing in a league that doesn't have the same top tier talent and doesn't allow him to get European exposure and competition against the best players in the world. So it's definitely a legacy move and he's going to make more than enough money that he yeah. could ever use in his lifetime. He already has. And it was just really funny to see the reaction of all of the athletes in North America who are very well off, but soccer's just, it's on another level. Yeah. I, the Giannis tweet was my favorite uh, saying like, Hey, I kind of look like him. Um, so a little more details. Um, his contract became open to be extended by Paris Saint-Germain uh, sometime last month when Mbappe informed the club he had no intentions to sign an extension to their dismay. And as mentioned, this player legitimately might have a market value of over $1 billion, and the club management is running around like chickens with their head cut off at the thought of letting that walk away for free. Uh, so they got incredibly excited by this offer from the Saudi club, which would have given them about 300 million US dollars. Uh, that's more than they initially signed Mbappe for. And they've since won the French title five times, which I think was a given. They haven't won the Champions League though, eh? No. Nope. Brutal. Um, I find it kind of hilarious. Um, I think 
it seems like a pretty open secret. It's no secret at all that Mbappe wants to play for Real Madrid. It's a bit of Sherlock Holmes and the mysterious case of the dog that did nothing unusual, where all of these teams are frantically trying to get in on the Mbappe action, except the one team everyone knows he wants to go to. Um, so it seems much like we see in NHL and NBA on day one free agency when all these players somehow sign this deal right in the first minute that there were some backdoor negotiations that have already gone on. Yeah, It seems like Mbappe isn't that interested in playing anywhere. The Saudi delegation was in Paris on other business and wanted they went through the club psg was ecstatic and then mbappe didn't even bother to meet with the club to discuss negotiations so it's unclear if there's any trance it's unclear if it's about this being the saudis or just about him not really caring to go play anywhere else um the PSG currently on, or went on a Japan tour didn't play him they are hoping to recoup their losses and get something not let the most valuable sports asset in the world walk away for nothing um, but in this case Mbappe has all the leverage he clearly isn't moving just for money so it's on other football clubs around the world to take note of and by the way this we didn't mention it or but like this deal was for one year like the Saudis could not have tossed more bones to Mbappe with the image rights. Mm -hmm. It's just one year. You can go play for the team you want to play for after that one year. Uh, so it really begs the interest of if there's any deal that could be offered that he's going to be interested in accepting. Um, and if not, if PSG decides to play him and just try and milk the next season for as much as they can, or the most valuable asset in sports does just walk off. I don't know if you have a prediction there. I think he's leaving at some point. Uh, it, like, it, like there's going to be a transfer. Yes, because uh, it almost happened last summer, and he ended up staying. I think it's a matter of time. I just think it's Real Madrid piling together the money to make it happen. But like, why would like? It would have to be a low enough amount of money to like be worthwhile with the knowledge they're going to get him for free next June, most likely. So, yeah, it'd be nice to have him for one more season, but why pay hundreds of millions of dollars for something you're going to get for free? Because uh, I think there's a Premier League club out there that could make an enticing offer. Right. Yeah, it could be interesting. Um if if they make an offer, would they be able to swing an extension right in that offer and potentially take him away? Or like, oh, would it certainly. happen? I yeah. imagine, yeah, it, it would be an obscene offer that likely comes down from uh, Manchester United or a Chelsea and would be record-breaking. Hmm. And that's where I see it happening, um, which would force Real's hand. But... Yeah, either way, he's he's a goner in the next two years for sure. Personally love watching billionaires sweat over not being able to milk the perfect amount of money and um, free agency and contracts doing its thing. So 
just do you king all right some other football all right yeah uh before we get to other assets in peril we will talk women's world cup just want to make sure we mention canada uh getting a big win over ireland the other day uh now sitting atop of their pool with nigeria's shocking victory against australia so actually tied with nigeria at the top of the pool and they do have to play australia in their final game so things actually a bit of a toss-up whereas if australia had won they would have been in a much nicer driving seat for this final game but a really important match coming up against the matildas and uh we're rooting them on and usa uh not winning a game for the first time in i think 18 straight matches and uh they were very close to being they're having their first loss since 2015. wow so it shows their dominance but netherlands gave them a good run for their money the other day so exciting to see that some of women's football is catching up with the us Mm -hmm. okay assets in peril today we heard of two injuries in camp OTAs and training camp in the NFL is the scariest time of the year for fans. I remember last or two years ago, uh, Javante Williams done for the season. And you're just holding your breath. Tim Patrick, like Broncos players I'm talking about. You're just holding your breath, hoping that they can get through August unscathed. And terrible news coming out of both Miami and Cincinnati's camps today. Jalen Ramsey expected to have knee surgery and miss the start of the season. And we do not yet have a diagnosis on Joe Burrow, but he did get carted out of practice with what seems to be an Achilles injury, which if it's what an Achilles injury usually is, that's season ending. And he is a guy who was probably next up in terms of getting paid a lucrative amount of money Justin Herbert just got his deal two days ago. And that's a tough one because that's now two season-ending injuries for Joe Burrow in the first four years of his NFL career. Um, it sandwiches two runs to the AFC Championship and Super Bowl. What a first four years. So, obviously, hopefully he things are not as bad as they seem. He's back, he's healthy because he's a phenomenal quarterback and player and... Oh, just a proven winner, uh, but just a terrifying time if you're an NFL right now, NFL fan right now in, in the month of August. Wow. And we have run through most of the show, getting to the end, but got a little bit of combat corner before, oh, this is a fight happening, UFC pay-per-view this Saturday that sells itself. Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier too. Their first fight for me is a, I know exactly where I was, what I was feeling, what I was thinking when watching the first thriller of a fight that went four rounds and resulted in a stoppage victory for Dustin Poirier. But this is some of the freakiest things or like rematch stat I've ever seen since that fight both fighters six and two with those two losses for each fighter uh coming in championship level fights to Khabib Nurmagomedov and Charles Oliveira I think both fighters are at almost an identical point in their career where the the top of that lightweight division has just been clogged um they've been 
getting the lion's share of either prize fights or title fights um, with McGregor Chandler being the more prize fights and then the title shots obviously being title shots. Both would be massive underdogs against current champion Islam Makashev. Uh, so it's impossible to each get another title shot. Poirier has had two now. Gaethje has had also had two now. Um, so they're each vying to have that third shot and they have to get through each other. Both incredibly dangerous, incredibly violent, incredibly durable fighters. Uh, the first fight I think was awarded fight of the year when it happened. Um, Gaethje let much less of a maverick when he, that was actually the fight that changed Gaethje's career. Oh, um, he was on this massive losing streak where he just went out and James Vick called him the Homer Simpson of MMA. I don't know if you've seen that Simpsons clip where Homer becomes a boxer. It's kind of incredible, but, um, Mo just coaches him to take every punch until the opponent is too tired throwing punches and then to just punch once and he falls and Homer fights his way to a world championship bout where he faces a real world champion and then gets his clock cleaned. I didn't know what the Homer Simpson reference was actually when I first heard it. Uh, but I think that kind of lit something in Gaethje and he knocked Vic out on three minutes and continued to pile up those first round knockouts to get to the, his star dumb to the point that it is now. So that loss, you can really argue, made Gaethje's career what it has been. Uh, since further losses, he has become an even smarter, more intelligent, more aware of the perils of the damages he can take but he also just can't help himself when he sees red when he gets swinging when he gets going you just know these two guys are going to bring out the best in each other and i'm really looking forward to the fight it also doesn't hurt that the light heavyweight title up for grabs this weekend for the third fight in a row neither fighter entering the cage will be defending the title and i don't think that's ever happened in ufc history so definitely looking forward to this fight card and talking a bit about it next week that's all i got for now all right well thank you everyone so much for listening and sticking with us through the dog days of summer just about a month now left here uh, until summer is over and we are back into the swing of things in the fall sports season arriving. So hope everyone is staying cool out there with the heat and we'll look forward to speaking to you next week. Next time on Sports Next Door, Cocaine Eagles. Till then, Sports Next Door signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Hey man, this ain't no fishing town. Yeah, they're fishing, but that ain't